Matthew chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five. We got down through about verse 13, 14, 15, right in there. Let's start reading in verse 13. Uh, we're dealing with the Sermon on the Mount, and again, it's not doctrine for us today. Uh, it's rather uh, for the kingdom saints, and he, Christ here is describing the issue of kingdom living, uh, the type of lifestyle that will be exemplified by those, and I'm putting my cell phone on the mute because it's not on mute. Mute, mute, mute. So he's, uh, he's describing the, the lifestyle uh, of those that are going to go into the kingdom. He's proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand and so forth. So all of this is kingdom doctrine. It's kingdom push. Verse 13, ye are the salt of the earth. And, and I, we did some of this last time, if I remember right. Israel is always associated with the earth. Um, the believing remnant uh, in Israel has always been associated with the earth. They've always been the preservative. That's they've always will be and has always been the salt of the earth. Uh, again, salt, preservative, pr uh, get rid of the corruption, protection. Verse 13, but if the, the salt has lost his savior, so they've lost their flavor, Wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot. So basically it's lost its flavor. It's worthless. So we're going to cast it out. And again, that issue of judgment is brought up here as he's looking at the kingdom, as he's dealing with that apostate nation. He's painting this picture here. And Christ is going to be gathering up the, the believing remnant. He's going to, they're, they're going to literally become his government, the 12 apostles and so forth. And that little flock is right there. So they are the salt of the earth. But then in verse 14, they're also the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So again, they are going to be this, the light of the world. Um, if you come over to Mark chapter and go get Revelation chapter 1, I believe. Well, if I remember what we did last time with this. Revelation chapter 1. What's that? Is that what we did last time? Okay. 22:12. All right, look at Revelation 1. Look, if you will, at verse 20. Just real quick here. Revelation 1:20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hands and the seven golden candlestick. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, 
and the seven candlesticks which thou seest are the seven churches. So that issue of the candlestick and candles and put your candle on a candlestick. It's, don't, uh, don't put it under a bushel. Come over to Mark 4. Mark 4 and verse 21. Mark 4 verse 21. Don't put it under a bushel. Don't hide it. Put it on a candlestick. So that, that is that representing here the issue of those seven churches in the book of the Revelation. So again, we're over in the 70th week of Daniel. We're over in the tribulation. We're over in him going into the kingdom. So he's taken us in Matthew 5. He just got done. He's just starting his earthly ministry. We're up in the northern territory of Galilee. And he instantly moves everybody over into the, that millennial kingdom, the kingdom that's coming. Mark 4, verse 21. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? That's it. Don't put it underneath. Don't uh, Come over to Luke 15. Luke 15. Don't, don't hide it. We're, we're, you guys are the light of the world. A bushel, by the way, represents commercialism. As we go through this, we'll see. A bed, well, what do you do on a bed? You take a nap. You relax. You are lazy. So a bed represents laziness. What's going to, commercialism and laziness, the bushel and the bed, will put out the light. So don't put it there. Don't put it there at all. Put it out on a candlestick. Put it out so everyone can see it. Notice, if you will, Luke 15. Here's the lady here, verse 8. Luke 15, 8. That, by, by the, Luke 15, verse 8. In Matthew 5 there, it says, It giveth light unto all that are in the house. Luke, by the way, the house would be a representation of who? Of Israel. The house of Israel, the house of Judah, and so forth. 15.8, either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. We looked that, I brought that up last time. What is she doing? She's sweeping the whole house to find the lost silver, the lost redemption. The Lord is going to say to him, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So what she's lost here is the little flock. And she's out looking and she lights the candle in order to see and in order to catch what's going on. So uh, come on over to John 8. So what's happening here is... There's, we got to catch something here about the issue about light. And light is a testimony in the issue of darkness. When I came into this room, this room was dark until what was turned on? The light. When the light showed up, the darkness goes away. So just as salt is going to preserve against the corruption and and, and preserve the whole deal, light is going to illuminate the darkness. 
And in Scripture, in the, especially in prophetic Scripture, there's a great thing that you have to catch about darkness and light. Look at John 8 and verse number 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In other words, when Christ was on the earth, there was light. The light of the world was here, and the light was available. So when you think about, here's Christ. He's on the earth. We're in the light, aren't we? We're in the day. He dies, goes to Calvary, sends up. What happens? He's gone. Now we're in the night. And in Scripture, night is, comes. Night shows up. Look over in chapter 9 of John. John chapter 9. Look at verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what's he doing over here? He's working. He gathers up the 12 and the believing remnant. He's going to leave. While he's gone, they've got to, to occupy. They have a job to do in the night. They've got work to do. He's gone. They're going to work over here. We've got the trib, the second coming. When he shows back up, establishes the kingdom, now we're back in the what? in the day this is night okay the, the 70th week of Daniel here in the night anytime you see night in scripture it's judgment it's tribulation it's the light isn't there so he's gone you, uh, uh, look over at Malachi 4 Get Malachi 4, Daniel 7, Jeremiah 8. No, <laughs> Malachi 4. Malachi 4. We'll do one at a time. So the Lord Jesus Christ, he's on the earth, and when he's there, it's daytime. It's light. He dies. When he leaves, the night comes when no man can work. So as long as Christ is in the world... It's light, but when he goes out, it becomes dark. So the time period between his leaving and when he returns is the night. Now, we know this from John, but this believing remnant, as they occupy and they go in, they have that issue of the new covenant established in them, and they are really in Christ, and Christ is in them. So then they become what? The light. Don't put your light under a bushel. Don't put it under a bed. You're the light. Put it on a candlestick so all men can see your good works. He's talking about here as we go in. Okay? So, yeah, Christ, I'm the light. I'm here. I'm leaving. It's nighttime. And when I come back, Malachi 4.2 but unto you that fear my name shall the Son, notice that's S-U-N, 
but it's a capital S, so it's a name, it's a title. The Son of Righteousness, arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up, and so on. When he comes back in the nighttime, come over to Daniel 7, back at Daniel 7. That's why understanding your prophecy, your prophetic scriptures, is really critical. The, the book of Daniel helps because you get to understand really what prophecy is all about. But Daniel 7, verse 2, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea, and the four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another, and he begins another vision there, but it's a vision by night, in the night. So when you come back to Matthew 5, the, in prophecy, the time between his ascension and the second coming is referred to as nighttime, darkness, night. So if we can remember that as we go through this, then that will help as well. Actually, it will help greatly. The um, Come over with me to the, to the book of the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, um, chapter 5, I believe. Yeah, chapter 5. Solomon, Song of Solomon here is a discourse between Solomon and his bride. Doctrinally, it's going to be between Christ and his bride. But it's a conversation between the Lord and the virgin daughters of Israel in that tribulation period out over here. If you look at, 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 at chapter 5, you start in verse 10, and you run down to verse 16, where he says there in verse 10, My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. Verse 16, His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is all together lovely. This is my beloved, this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. That is the only physical description of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of the Bible. It's from chapter 5, verse 10 to 16. There, okay? So if you want to know what he looked like, there's the description. Now look at chapter 6 and verse 10. Chapter 6 and verse 10. Who is she that looketh forth as the morning... Fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners. The woman, the bride of Solomon here, is tip, tip, typifi typified blah, 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 by the moon. So when he says in Matthew 5, ye are the light of the world, he's, he's saying that that little flock is the light of the moon. And clear is the sun. That's what he's talking about here. And the idea, what does the moon do? It reflects, doesn't it? Come back to Matthew chapter 13. You see, it reflects the light. The light comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the light is going to shine in darkness, just as the moon shines at night this morning. The last two mornings, the, the, the moon's been really big. 
and really bright, especially out there in dairy land. <laughs> not much going, not, not too many street lights yet. And it's like, wow, it's huge. Almost don't even need a flashlight, you know. That's what these guys are. Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13. So when the t there's a time between the first and the second, and he says, in that time it's going to be darkness, but ye are the light. You're going to be the light in the darkness because you're reflecting me and who I am. Now, Matthew 13, when we get to Matthew 13, we'll have a lot of fun. Because in Matthew 13, he starts talking in parables. If you come back to chapter 13 here, uh, and, and, and verse 37 is where we're going to be. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed even them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, when he talks here in this parable, he's literally interpreting a parable that he's always already given to him. Okay, if you look at verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. In that, which is the first parable. You start back up there. And, and where he begins to tell them, talk to them in parables. So what happens is, is everybody says, we can't understand the parables. He was talking in parables so that no one could understand him. So it's a general truth to help you understand some spiritual truth. And you know what you do with that, right? You know why he speaks in parables? Look in, you're in 13, look in verse 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it's a general truth, so that you can understand a spiritual truth. Huh? <laughs> no, he didn't say that at all. What did he say? Because it is given unto you. Who's the you? The disciples, the twelve, the believing remnant, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Verse 13 there Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they, seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, and neither do they understand. The reason for the parables is so that the believing remnant get it, and the unbelievers don't get it. But he interprets them for them. And in the interpretation, in verse 37 and down, he says, hey, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. The, he, he, he bounces them all the way down through except for the furnace of fire. There's no equate of the furnace of fire. So guess what it is then? A furnace of fire. It's judgment. You see how he did that? Now, you've got to understand that. Because watch verse 43. 
after the furnace of fire, after the judgment, second coming, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Isn't that interesting? After the judgment, what's going to show up? The daylight, the sun, daytime, back into the light. Why? Because who's here? The true light is here. Meanwhile, while we're waiting for that to happen, we've got a believing remnant in here doing a job. And guess what they've been called? Ye are the light of the world. Come back with me to Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60. This thing about light and darkness, literally we could spend hours running the verses through the Old Testament, but we're not going to do that or we'll, we'll never get anywhere. But look at Isaiah 60. Just give you a couple. And verse 1. Was that the air conditioning? Really? Yeah. All right, 60 verse 1. Arise. Shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to thy brightness of thy rising. All of that happens in the kingdom. The abundance of the light, the abundance of everything happens in the kingdom. Drop down to verse 19. The sun shall be no more thy light by day. Neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God the glory, and thy God thy glory. Thy sun shall be no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw herself. For the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of mourning shall be ended. Psalms 30, he says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Verse 21, Thy people shall be all righteous, they shall inherit the land forever. Sounds a little bit like the meek shall inherit the earth, doesn't it? The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. In verse 19 and 20, when he's talking there about not needing the sun, he's talking about that kingdom part of the earth where his Shekinah glory is going to be on display full time. And when it's on, come back to Matthew 5, when it's on full time and it's on display, the light is going to be a representation, all of his glory, of who he is. And it'll be manifest all around. And when that happens, there'll be an everlasting daylight, kind of like up in Alaska at certain times of the year. Okay? But this will never diminish away. That's what he's talking about. Now go back to chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine. That'll be their testimony. Let your light so shine before men. That testimony, that preaching of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
that they may see your good works, that those works of righteousness that they're going to be doing, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, you see that your Father. <laughs> you want to pick a fight with somebody, <laughs> just start talking about your Father. You see, folks, God is a Father to Israel. If you write down Exodus 4, Verse 22, he talks about Israel is my son, even my firstborn. You write down Deuteronomy 32, verse 18. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Deuteronomy 32, 18. Exodus 4, 22. Isaiah 46, verse 3. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house which are born by me. And that expression there, your father, it kills the people who, it, it just puts a knife in the arguments where people say, when they talk about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. And when they teach that, they teach that God's the father of everybody. He's everybody's dad. Well, John 8, 44, 48, right in there, he looks at Israel and says, you have your father, the devil. So you got problems. <laughs> so when you, you're back in Matthew 5, I hope, verse 17. So uh, don't, don't miss that little thing there. Verse 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled verse 17 is and 18 are very important because verse 17 gets to be used by the seven day adventist crowd and when they what they say is that when christ came he didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets so they teach that you have to keep the Ten Commandments, especially the Sabbath day, to be saved. So verse 17 becomes their salvation, one of their many salvation texts. All right, But I want you to notice something. Because you have to be very careful here. Some people use this verse to come up and uh, like the covenant theology guys, okay? <laughs> that, by the way, that's the reformed people. And they'll say that when he fulfilled the law, as he said he's going to, he did that by going to the cross and dying. And when he did that, he fulfilled the ceremonial law. So they say that this passage is actually a is being fulfilled at Calvary. And I'm going to say, eh, thanks for playing. Okay? How do, you, how do you know that? When he says, think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets, I came not but to fulfill, that is not a reference to the cross work of Christ. So Matthew 5.17 has nothing. Come over to chapter 16 of Matthew. I'll show you how you know that. Matthew 16. So Matthew 5.17 is not in any way a reference to the cross of Christ. 
So when he talks about fulfilling the law, he's not talking about going to Calvary and dying to fulfill the ceremonial law. Well, how do you know that? Matthew 16, 21, great verse. Verse you ought to have memorized, highlighted, print out wherever you can see it, just in case you get this argument from someone. From that time forth, big word, began. Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now, is Matthew 16 before Matthew 5, 17 or after? It's after, isn't it? Okay. In Matthew 16, 21, from that time forth, that timing element, we're talking about Matthew 4. Before Matthew 16, 21, he has not talked about going to the cross. In Matthew 16, 21, he began talking about it. By the way, if you look at verse 22, then Peter took him and began to hug him and love him and say, Thank you, Lord, for dying for our sins. No. He rebuked him, actually. He rebuked him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this is not, this shall not be unto thee. Pete, doesn't sound like Peter was expecting Christ to go to Calvary. Rather, the opposite. So, when you come back to Matthew 5, when somebody, I have written down, not the cross, 1621. <laughs> Why? Because what happens is, is people pick, cherry pick these verses and say, He's fulfilling this over here. No. What's he been talking about here in Matthew 5? About the kingdom. He's talking about the theme of his message is, Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's, so when you, the verse isn't saying that he's going to go fulfill the law over there. And like that. He's talking about not just the law, by the way, but also the prophets. I've come not to destroy, but to fulfill. We looked, I think, at Luke 16, verse 16. That's another one of my verses written down here, by the way. Where he says, the law and the prophets were until John. And since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. What's the, the motive? What's the push? The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. So, when he says this, he's not talking about a future event. He's talking about what's going on right then and there. Now, what about the law and the prophets here? Come on over, come back, come over, come over with me to Colossians chapter 2. <coughs> because Paul sheds some light, <coughs> excuse me, on this. And again, I'll say it, I've said it before, you need the Apostle Paul, an understanding of Pauline truth, to catch the detail that's going on in the rest of the Bible. You can't have, you can't understand. When Paul, when Peter makes that comment in 2 Peter 3 about you have all of Paul's epistles which he wrote unto you, and everybody says, oh, see, look, he wrote to Hebrews and blah, blah, blah. Well, we have all the Bible. Was Moses writing to you? No, but we have it. We study it. We enjoy it. But Peter's making also another application of, hey, you're going to have to have some of Paul to understand how I, what's going on in our program. Very interesting. Look at Colossians 2.16. 
Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. The meat, the drink, the holy days, the new moon, the Sabbath days, those are ordinances. They're practices, there's rules, there's regulations, there are festivals of the law. But notice what Paul says here in this epistle that he writes to the Colossians. That is our information today. We understand that. And he says, right now they are a shadow of things to come. Notice in verse 17 carefully, which are, the are. It doesn't say they were a shadow. They, it says they are, present tense, right here, right now. By the way, I have a little note by my, our, my verse here. And it says that that word are is, is in present tense in every Greek manuscript known to man. Every Greek manuscript anyone's ever seen, the present tense are is in it, is in that verse. He, what Paul is saying is that the law back there is a shadow of things that are going to take place in the future, future from where we are. Come back with me to Ezekiel 45. You see, folks, the law was a shadow of things that are going to take place in the kingdom. And that's what the main emphasis of the types of the pictures is all about. It's not a shadow of the church, the body of Christ, but rather it's a shadow of the kingdom. That, that information, that doctrine, Ezekiel 45, that doctrine that was committed to Israel through the ordinances of the law was doctrine that foretold about the kingdom. And when Christ comes to fulfill the law, he's going to bring the kingdom, which then will f fulfill the typology, all those ceremonies, the, the rules, the regulations, the rites they, that were taught, they, for, they were looking forward to something, okay? Dad, Dad always said, the Old Testament is a dress rehearsal for the big day. And that's what it is. Look at Ezekiel 45 and verse 17. Now, in Ezekiel 45, you're going to see an almost we're, direct quote of Colossians 2, by the way. But in Ezekiel 40 to 48, you have a picture of the millennial kingdom of this, this time frame, of, of, of the, the, the location of the temple, its structure, its physical setup. Uh, when we were studying the book of the Revelation many years ago, five or six moons ago, <laughs> just kidding, many moons ago, uh, we had a young a gentleman here, Don Hunt, he actually took the dimensions and laid it out and tried to, he's an engineer, you remember the watches that had the calculators on them? He invented that when he was working. He With Motorola and those guys, he worked on that. He didn't in invent it, I shouldn't say that. He worked on it. He was one of the main engineers. So he was doing all this stuff and trying to figure out. And he, he kind of came to a conclusion that this temple's huge. <laughs> it's going to be really big. 
Well, of course it's going to be big. But well, So we had a good time with that. Verse 17. The, the thing is, is in, in chapter 45, he's talking about the worship in the land. Okay, and what's going to happen? And it shall be the prince's part to give burnt offerings and meat offerings and drink offerings in the feast and in the new moons and in the Sabbaths in all sol- uh, solemnities of the house of Israel. He shall prepare the sin offering and the meat offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering to make reconciliation for the house of Israel. You see all those meat and drink offerings, the new moons, the feast, the Sabbaths? Ezekiel says all that's going to be taking place in the kingdom. People always ask me, what are the... what is?" During the thousand years, what are they out there preaching and teaching? (laughs) Ezekiel says they're going to be doing the law. They're going to be doing all this. They're going to be doing everything. They're just going to say this this lamb represents the real lamb sitting in Jerusalem. We're going to have him here, but he's really sitting over there. Okay? So so all of that is going on in the kingdom. So in Matthew 5, when he says, I've come to fulfill the law, in that kingdom, the law of God is going to be taught and observed. Isaiah 66. Come back over there. Isaiah 66. So when he says this, he's not talking about going to Calvary or you got to keep the 10 to get in type thing. Hey, that rhymed. <laughs> anyway, I've had a long day. <laughs> it's been a long week, and we're only on only Wednesday. Yeah, there you go. Chapter uh, Isaiah 66, verse 22. Isaiah 66, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name Remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. They're going, all flesh is going to come and worship the Lord. And it's going to be, the worship is going to be triggered by the new moons and the Sabbaths, those ceremonies of the law. That's what's triggering them. That's what's moving them. Come over to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. Zechariah 14, 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of the tabernacles. Again, Feast of the Tabernacles, part of the law. Verse 17, And it shall be that whosoever, that whoso, will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if a family of Egypt go not up and come not, they have no rain. There shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of the tabernacle. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of the tabernacles. Folks, go back there to Matthew 5. Yes, yep. Instant judgment, instant justice, instant judgment. 
Because the righteous king, the righteous judge, sits on the throne. Yeah, it's going to be quick. Boom. Matthew 5, verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy the law. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Both the law and the prophets are going to be fulfilled in the kingdom. That's the point. He doesn't say he's going to the cross to fulfill a ceremonial ditty. Okay, and therefore we should keep the rest of it and all that good stuff. Matthew 5. What are we doing? We are doing Ephesians 2, verse 6 and 7. We're just putting on display his grace. We're watching this happen. Because this is not in the new heaven and the new earth yet. This is still in the old. After the the great the thousand years are up, okay, Satan is loosed again. You've got the one little last 30-second blast. Then you've got the great white throne judgment. All will be then cast into the lake of fire, hell, and death. Yes. Yep. Just a moment in time to deceive the nations, to get them the rest of the way. And then he's got a 30-second judgment from the fire out of heaven like he did with Elijah and the Baal worship. Elijah goes in against the Baal guys, send a bolt of fire down, less than 30 seconds, they're done. That's what's going to happen here. Okay? One little ditty. Revelation 20. Yes, we are hanging out in heavenly places. We're watching it happen. We got the best deal is right. We're sitting. So the great white throne judgment, death, hell, and the grave, and the sea, all deliver them up. They're finally judged. They're cast into the lake of fire. Satan's been cast and judged. Then we get to the new, the new heaven and the new earth. No sin. Sin has finally been dealt with right there. We're still up there sitting by. We are. You know what we're doing? We're trying to figure out our new bodies because they're moving fast. You can move at the speed of the twinkling of a light, of an eye. you gotta, you got to figure that thing out. Be running into each other. Boom. Hey, get out of my way. Boom. You know? What was that? I feel the need for speed. You're going to have it. So, seriously, we're up in heavenly places. We're just watching him have his day. This is the day of the Lord, and we're watching him have it. And we're rejoicing and we're worshiping him, singing a few songs and having a good time. Because it's his day. That's Israel. It's never you. That's here. The wedding feast stuff is... But between his coming and the establishment of the kingdom, is 75, there's 75 days. We elect a president in November. He doesn't take office until January, right? We call that a transition period. That's a transition period. He's won the day, and 75 days later from the math in the book of Daniel, he's, it's an inauguration. When he, in this 75 days, the Old Testament saints are resurrected, the little flock that's gone through here are all changed, moved in, given their everlasting bodies. 
We have nothing to do with it. We're just watching it. Old Testament saints, the servants, the people, yeah, they're, the, the servants in the temple are those that have gone through the tribulation. According to the book of Revelation, they were the ones beheaded. They serve in the temple and stuff like that. That's these guys' specific group of people. Which is the same group of people he was talking to over here. They were supposed to go in and do all that. But uh, he, uh, had a, he kept a secret and uh, interrupted that with the church, the body of Christ. We sit right in here now. We interrupted this. We go out. We're sitting up here in the heavenly places, out of it, watching it be fulfilled. We don't have to get dressed up for a wedding or nothing. That's right. Now, we're not looking for, we're not, we're not waiting for the bridegroom. We're not wait, by the way, the bride, you know, that's an interesting thing. Flip over to Revelations. We're talking about it. You, oh, okay. Okay, so <laughs> they're very confused. Okay, <laughs> look at Re- look at Revelation twenty one. All right, so Revelation. Let's go Revelation nineteen. Let's just walk through this this right here that I just scribbled up here on the board. Uh, let's Revelation nineteen. Let's start in just in the in the whole chapter. Okay, Revelation nineteen. You start in verse eleven. And you have the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it ends with him taking the beast and the false prophet, verse 20, and casting them alive into the lake of fire, which burning with brimstone, 1920. Okay? So, his second coming, he takes the false prophet and the beast, and cast them alive into the lake of fire. Okay? Chapter 20. Satan, verse 2, Satan is bound for a thousand years. That's the only way we know that there's a thousand years involved here, is because of that verse. It doesn't show up anywhere else in the prophets, but right there. He's bound for a thousand years. During that time, you're going to have, uh, from verse 4 through 6, you have the resurrection of the, of these, of the saints into the kingdom. That's why I said you've got, you got time going on there, 75 days, okay? All, the thousand-year binding all happens right here. We go into the kingdom. Then you go back into the Old Testament, and you begin to see the issues of, of uh, all of that. Okay, verse 7, when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. And they come up one more time, verse 9, and they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. So we're up in Jerusalem again. And fire came down from the God out of heaven and devoured them. 30 seconds, if that, bam, gone. The picture of that is Elijah and the Baal worshippers back 
okay, and kings. Then Satan, verse 10, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, so they're still alive, and they're going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that's right here. That's that battle. He takes them and casts them out. It's a done deal. The, the beast is the Antichrist. The false prophet is just that, the false prophet. He is, he is the, the Antichrist religious leader. No, um, no, the false prophet is not a human. The Antichrist starts out to be a human, and then he's uh, de demonically possessed. The false prophet takes on, the false prophet equals the Holy Spirit, if you think about that. Okay, so he takes on a, a, a spiritual form, if you will. He does, he's going to look like a person, but he's not human. Okay, so Satan, the devil, will equal the father. The Antichrist, the beast, will equal the son. The prophet, false prophet, will equal the Holy Spirit. Okay. Then the next thing that you have happen in 20 is verse 11, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. And, and then you have the great white throne judgment, which held death, the grave, the sea, all, the, all unsaved. No matter the dispensation. Time passed, but now... All these guys, all the unsaved, are then cast and judged and cast into the lake of fire. Okay? Now watch chapter 21. Are we good? You guys back, you good back there? Okay? All right. 21.1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So now we're in the new heaven and the new earth, right? So we're over here. First Peter will tell First Peter, Second Peter describe how we get there. Drop down to verse. Well, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. We're back to Genesis 1:1. Perfect. No sin. They're in Christ. If you look, I'm seriously, that's where they're at. We're in the heavenly places. We're in Him. If you, if you, they're in Him. They're in the kingdom. They're sitting in that kingdom over there under the protection. If you look at um, Second Peter, hang on, I think it's Second Peter, Second Peter 3. 2 Peter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. See, that's a, it's an atomic bomb goes off. So... Well, we, we are protected. We're sealed with the Spirit. They're not going to hurt us. Right. And on earth, it's the people in the kingdom. They're sitting in his His kingdom doesn't go anywhere. It's here. Because in twenty back in Revelation 21, 
now we're in the new heaven and the new earth. So now we're back to Genesis 1, 1, perfect. Sin's been dealt with. Satan's been destroyed. He had, he, there's no more the devil made me do it stuff. It's all gone. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Yep. He's God. He's going to get it done. Some of it we're never going to understand. <laughs> it's like it's like Noah in the ark. Eight souls saved by water in the boat. Hebrews. It's a picture. That's how he's going to do it. They're in the ark. They're in the they're in the little flock. They're they're right there where they're supposed to be. He protects them. They're his. I don't I don't know how it's to it's hard to explain, but that's who they are. Revelation 21, verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to the great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, and off you go. So he's, he's going to show him the bride, the lamb's wife, verse 9. And what does he show? The holy city, the holy Jerusalem. So the lamb's wife, the bride of Christ, is the city of Jerusalem. It is not you and I, the body of Christ. Who is sitting in the city of Jerusalem? It's Israel. It's the believing remnant. That's why that stuff in Song of Solomon is the Lord talking to his bride. That's the little flock. It's the whole, that, that is the true Israel of God, Paul calls it in Galatians 6. So that's where we're at. So back in Matthew 5, when he says, I come wherever we were, we'll have to pick up here next time. 517, because time is up. Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He's doing all of that in the kingdom right here, the thousand years. That's where he's doing it. Because the goal was to move from there. He's going to leave. They're going to occupy. He's going to come back, clean it all up, and they're going to go right into the kingdom. And the, and the fulfillment of the law was to be done in the kingdom, okay? So what that means for you is that that Old Testament doesn't end at the first coming of Christ. The Old Testament, in large measure, is, a hi is history written in advance, future from where we are today. Again, it's a dress rehearsal for the future day, Okay? So we'll pick up in verse 18 and talk about the jot and the tittle and all that good stuff, all right? Okay. Let me make a mark and, well, let's pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the study and for the, the desire to know. And we'll give you the honor and the praise and the glory in that. In your name we pray. Amen.